John chapter 12, verses 20 through 50. You know, something that you'll observe if you watch cultural trends is you find that we are people that love royalty, aren't we? I mean, we do. We love royalty. Um, We don't want a king, but we want to watch other royal families, right? Like if Prince William gets a pimple, that's like front page news, right? That's just everywhere. Or, or, you know, the queen gets a new hairstyle. I mean, we see it. It's on the front headlines, paper, and on the news. We love stories about kings and queens, princes and princesses. So it's no wonder when, when something happens in a royal family, we pay attention because we are obsessed you know, freed from tyranny, but still watching it, right? Still tuned in. Like, you just want to know, just in case. So when the royal family has a baby, there's so much speculation on how he or she will rule. This is what's happening in John chapter 12. As Jesus enters and he comes in to Jerusalem, as Pastor Mike began this uh, chapter last week and talked about Jesus coming into the city, he's entering into Jerusalem. And as we come today to this portion of John that the king is coming, John wants us to know that the hour has come for Jesus. The passage we're going to look at is so rich in truth. There are three exchanges that take place throughout this passage today. Three exchanges. Jesus is going to make it very clear why he is here and why he's come to the earth. What he's come to do. And and he understands why he's here, and that is to die for you and for me. But the second part is very clear in this as well. He expects something from us as believers in him as well. He expects you and me to live a life that is way beyond a personal relationship. Yeah, you heard me. He expects you and me to live a life that's way beyond just a personal relationship. You know, very often people describe their relationship with God and they will say that it's really personal. I don't really talk about it. I don't share about it with anybody. Like personal means private to some. And if that's you, I just want you to kind of lean in today if you just have kept your faith in Christ private or just personal. But how many of you know our life as a disciple of Jesus is meant to be evident? How many of you are with me today? The life that we have in Christ is meant to be evident every single day. You know, from the moment that you and I receive water baptism, we got a job assignment? Hello? Yeah, I mean, from the moment you and I receive water baptism, it's not like salvation and water baptism are like a one-stop shop and then you end there. No, it's just the beginning of a new life in Jesus that's meant to be evident. More than just personal, it's meant to be evident and lived out. So he expects us to do that. You come to John chapter 12. We're entering the final week of Jesus' life, and on Friday, he will be crucified. It's Passover time, and Jerusalem fills with more than a quarter of a million people who have heard about Jesus. They heard Jesus just raise a man by the name of Lazarus from the dead, so they are honed in. They're like, who is this? And he enters Jerusalem, and they're hailing him as the Messiah. They think, you know, if he can raise people from the dead, then he should have no problem handling Rome. 
And see, they're looking at this time for a political deliverer. They're looking for a political salvation. But in this portion of Scripture, Jesus is offering them not political salvation, but spiritual salvation. That is what we need in this country today. More than political salvation, a Savior, we need a spiritual Savior that this world would get hungry for and go after and want Him. Because our deepest need is spiritual, right? That's our deepest need. You know, there will be some who want to come to Jesus, and there'll be some that will reject Jesus. We'll see in this passage. The question is then, is if people want to come to Jesus, will we bring them to Jesus? Are you praying for someone right now that needs Jesus? Because people want to meet Jesus. Don't ever forget that. That's even why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. You know, he's saying this, God is making his appeal through you and me. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. There's an exclamation point there. You know, you and I are speaking on behalf of Christ when we plead with somebody, come back to God. That you and I, we see in this portion of Scripture, are really doing what God has called us to do. See, when, what we see in John chapter 12 is Jesus bringing his public ministry to a close. And there's two kinds of people in this passage. The first one is you see there, there are some that are wanting to come to the Lord, wanting to meet Jesus, and we see them in verse 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who's from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see him. See, there's a group of Greeks here who want to follow Jesus They would be proselytes. These would be people who converted over to Judaism. And this would would not be unusual in that day. Remember at the temple, there was this very large court we've talked about before. This very large court in the temple. Uh, It's called the Temple of the Gentiles. This was for the Gentiles that converted over to Judaism to go to worship. Verse 23, it says, he says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Son of Man... This is not the first place you see Son of Man. Back in the book of Daniel, you see him identified as the Son of Man. It seems like those who've been experts in the law think it's just come upon the scene for the first time, but it hasn't. But Jesus says, my hour has come, but until this time, he has actually said the opposite. If you remember the wedding at Cana, He told his mother, my time and my hour has not yet come. Now he has changed it in this final week and said, my hour has arrived. It is here. What is the hour? The hour for what? It's the hour for his death. He knows why he's here. So three exchanges. Number one, Jesus understands why he's here and why he's on the earth. He says in verse 24, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If if you and I were to take a grain of wheat and put it in a Ziploc bag, it's probably going to last forever, but it does absolutely no good. Are you following me? There's a lot of people that call themselves believers that are trying to preserve their life rather than to die. Hello, are you with me this morning? It's getting a little quiet here, but there's a lot of believers that are trying to preserve their life today to just live this this comfortable little life, 
and, and, and I'm not going to go out and do much, but I'm just going to stay right here, and it's all tightly sealed. But he says, the point being, you take this piece of grain that looks great, and you put it into the ground, and when it does, it dies, as it produces fruit, and that's exactly what Jesus' death would do. And if you don't believe me, would you just take a moment this morning and just look around at people? Would you do that right now? And just look at people that are around you, most of which you may not know? See, the fruit of the death that we live and the death that Jesus gave us is the fruit of people that are sitting here today that are now living their life for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's then you and I have resurrection life. Like last Sunday night at our house party, which was absolutely amazing, the time of worship was one of our most powerful times that we have ever had for our house party. It was so incredible. 14 water baptisms last Sunday night because that's the fruit of that. Amen? That's the fruit of that that we're thankful for. See, if you go anywhere in Israel, you, you, you can't go around Israel without understanding agriculture was all around them. Look at verse 25. Whoever loses his life, loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternity. Just, I want you to stop and listen for a moment. There's a philosophy out there in the psychological world that says, you need to love you. And if you don't love you, how could you love anybody else? That's not biblical. That's not biblical. The reason why Satan got into a world of hurt was because Satan loved himself more than he loved God and wanted to put himself on the throne above God. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. It's not about you loving you. It's about you losing it for something that's greater than you. He says, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. What's he saying? If you live a self-centered existence, you will lose everything that you're trying to hold on to. If your life, he's saying, is all about you and finding yourself, you will not find the you that you're looking for. To hate life means not living a self-centered way, but you do that to live in a self-centered way, excuse me, but by serving others is the only way to have it. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, he says, the, the Father will honor me. In other words, if you're going to be my servant, this is the path you're going to have to take. And those he's saying, of you who claim to love me, you're going to follow me. You need to truly follow me. This is his point. This can't be just words, but it has to go beyond that into the intent of your heart. But it can't stop there. It has to go and be walked out daily. Like you might say, well, I have a strong feeling in my heart for Jesus. But that may not be evident. Amen? We could have a strong feeling in our heart for a lot of things today. But that doesn't mean it's evident in our walk with the Lord every single day. It's just an emotion. He goes and makes two promises. If you give your life away, you'll find life. And if you do that, the Father will honor you for it. So my question today for all of us is, will you model what Jesus did by dying? 
Will you and I model what Jesus did by dying? Now, you and I don't have to die on the cross. Jesus already took care of that once. That doesn't need to happen again. It's you and I saying, God, you have given me this life. And he's saying, listen, you've got to plant your life into the ground so that it will die so that more fruit can come from your life so that you will glorify my Father in heaven. That's why Philippians 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than yourself, let each of you not just look out for your own interest, but to the interest of others that are around you. See, as Christians, there's something that happens in your life that gives you and me the capacity to put someone else's life first. As we have continued to open our doors week in and week out here, it takes an army of people to serve in every area of ministry in this church, that's for sure. And we are thankful for our volunteers who we call our, our A-team. This morning, you've got to understand, as we've opened up, we are more in need than ever for volunteers in absolutely every single ministry in this church. Our in-person numbers have continued to grow, but each week with the amount of people staying home and watching online, we have a lack of volunteers to make ministry happen and take place. That's not just in this church, that's in every church in America right now, okay? But I want to ask you today as your pastor, as a Christian applying God's word, not just be a hearer, but you would be a doer, a Christian applying God's word today, that would you put others ahead of yourself and would you serve the Lord with your gifting through Abundant Life Church? See, we're so excited because, hey, next month, well, next, now it's not next month, it's this month, the end of this month, August 30th, Clearbrook Campus opens, which we're very excited about, Amen. So we're going to need more volunteers and more people helping serve over there to put others' interest above our own. See, it's not a normal or natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. It happens because you're in Christ. Jesus' model is a model of sacrifice, just as you heard Kristen talk about just, just a moment ago about our growth track that takes place that we offer monthly that we want to help you live a successful Christian life. So maybe you're coming to the church for the first time and you're like, today you're like, wow, I don't really know what my next step would be. Your next step is growth track. If somebody were to come into the church that you've invited and you're wondering, hey, well, they say, hey, I'm here now. I really don't know what I should do. Well, the next step is growth track. What's the next step? Growth track. That's the next step. That's the next step for them to build their life in Christ and get to know other believers. He goes on to say, as he comes through this passage, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He asks a rhetorical question in this, looking at what's before me, am I supposed to ask you, Father, to change the plan? His answer is no, because he gets exactly why he's here. None of us can really understand the emotional disconnect that happened between the father and the son at this moment. Because there was. He's troubled because why? Jesus is troubled because he can see it all. That's why he was born. 
And Jesus did not let the grief that was in his heart deter him from the plan of God. I'm going to encourage you today, if you're in grief, don't let your grief deter you from the plan that God has for you. Verses 28 and 29, the crowd thought it was thunder, an angel, as the Father speaks up. I mean, how many did you hear the thunder last night? See lightning? It was rumbling coming through. I know uh, the other week, I was in my office, and there was a thunderstorm rolling through in the middle of the day, and as it was coming through, I could hear <laughs> lightning, and I heard all the kids in the gym go, ah, they were scared. How many of you know thunder doesn't normally, is one of them things that draws you like, oh, wow, this is really comforting, right? Not normally, because it comes, and it's like, that's a little bit frightening, and it takes me back. Here's a thought. When God speaks, it probably says a lot about how much time I spend with him, because The more time that you and I spend in the Word, the more time I spend in prayer with Him, it's sure a lot easier to hear the voice of God speaking. Isn't that true? But the further you and I are away, it's like a distraction, like thunder. See, the most basic claim through God's Word is this. Here's the most basic claim. God speaks to people. It's the most basic claim that God wants us to know. The relationship is that, that, hey, I want to communicate with you as my children. And so that you understand there is no relationship without communication. How many of you know that to be true in your marriage? There is no relationship, uh, you know, without communication. You've got to have it. The problem is, though, communication is misunderstood. I don't always hear And I don't always understand what God is saying. How about you? Sometimes I get confused. True. The difference, though, in all of this is the attitude of wanting to hear God speak and to cultivate an open mind so that God can speak to me. That you and I have got to have an open mind to the possibility that God wants to speak to me every single day. Day. How many of you are with me on that? That God is a speaking God, and it's a two-way street that God wants to speak to us, and we need to speak to him. But Jesus tells them in verse 30, is to reassure them, he says this, that the Father's with me during this time. In 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. See, the Bible is not teaching that all people will get saved. That's universalism. Did you know that? That's not not in the Bible. That's not biblical. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. He's saying, I will draw all kinds of people to myself, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, Jew, Gentile, young and old alike, And so you have the crowd that is listening to this in verse 34. How can you say the Son of Man must must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Wait, 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 wait. You are going to be put on a cross? Isn't the Messiah supposed to come and reign forever? Well, the first time he's going to hang on the cross, the second time he's going to reign forever. Amen, church? And he talks about him as a light in verse 35 and verse 36. Jesus said, hey, I'm here for just a little while, so take advantage of being with me. 
I'm only, I'm only here for a little bit before I return to heaven. I'm only going to be here a short amount of time. And you have John then that comes and he steps back into the commentary in verse 37 and says, though he had done so many signs before, they still did not believe in him. So the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart. In turn, he said, and I would heal them. He understands why he's here. Second, Jesus understands rejection. John is actually surprised by all of this that has taken place. They still did not believe in Jesus. If we would look at our lives, maybe, and we said, if Jesus would only do a sign, then I would believe. How many of you have ever done that before? Lord, just, just provide a sign. I'm the only one. Yep. Okay. But that's not how faith comes. Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's how faith comes. What's the point of having a miracle? The miracle was there to support the messenger to bring glory to God. So when he was speaking to the crowds and he fed them, it caused them to sit up a little bit taller and to want to listen in and to lean in a little bit more that they understand that's the why of what it's going to lead them to. When you get to verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. It's where you get Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the train of his robe that fills the temple. The word Lord is Adonai, the master. This is Jesus. Jesus is on the throne. Think about how remarkable this is. God is sitting on the throne, Jesus doing a miracle, and people still don't believe Verse 42, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What a statement. Some people are so afraid to speak up because of fear of man. How many know that fear of man is snare? That's what the Bible says. Rather than understanding, having a fear of the Lord, that I am going to stand and do what is right. There's a group of people, they won't believe. Sad to think people say they trust in Christ, but they don't acknowledge him. We should honor God out there just like we honor him in here this morning. Amen. That we're the same person with a life that's evidenced before Jesus. Why we do in here was what we do out there. He tells them, and Jesus cried out and said, verse 44, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. To see one is to see the other. So Jesus knows why he's here. He definitely understands rejection. And third, Jesus' warning is clear. Verse 46, here's his purpose. I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me, may not remain in darkness. I've come to change your life. I've come to bring you out of darkness to see. Listen, today, this morning, you could be in a really dark place personally right now. You could be wounded. You could be hurt sitting here. 
you could be empty, but being given brand new life in Jesus as your hope for your future is your healing in Jesus' name. And he tells them, verse 47, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world. But he says, I came to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus is saying, listen, I don't even have to judge the world. That's not what I've come to do. He says, but my words will do that, and it's done already. You're judged, he's saying, by your lack of belief in me. Because you do not believe, my words have judged you already. Verse 49, he says, for I've not spoken even on my own authority. He says, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. He said, I'm only giving you what I've heard my Father say to me, and now here it is. Five takeaways from this passage as we bring it down to conclusion. Five takeaways. Number one, Jesus understands his assignment. He came to be a sacrifice for you and a sacrifice for me and a sacrifice for all of humanity. Number two, the trouble that Jesus experienced becomes my blessing. Aren't you thankful for that today? The trouble that Jesus went through and endured the cross with great joy now becomes blessing, a blessing for you, a blessing for me, a blessing for all of humanity, that he went to the cross and died for me, that in the midst of his trouble and suffering, that you and I inherit a sympathetic high priest that gets me in my darkest moment. He gets me. He understands me. He knows what I'm going through today. He knows what you're going through today. If you're in a dark moment, you're a dark season, he gets you. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 says. We have this type of high priest. He's not distant. He is near us. He walked upon this earth, and he walks with you and me right now at this moment. Number three, it is the cross that draws people. You know, see people with a necklace on. I mean, have you ever seen somebody with a big rock around their neck? Like, you know, I'm talking about a stone, you know. You see, ever seen a big stone there? That, no, you don't see people with a big stone around, around their neck, right? That just because Jesus was in the tomb and the stone was rolled away, that they don't wear a big stone, right there on their chest, do they? Or, or how many of you have ever seen somebody with some bling and they got a small loaf of bread around there? You know, wow. You know, we see that? Uh, no, no, that's, that's crazy. We wear a cross. John chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. See, a cross is the most profound statement of love there ever is and ever will be. And I don't know about you, I love empty crosses. Number four, miracles don't change hearts. What? No, miracles don't change hearts. We change because we hear the gospel message and do it. So we see that inside of there that, okay, well, the miracle 
was a sign to get people ready to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. That's what it's there to prepare them to do. And I believe we should pray for signs and wonders and miracles because Scripture tells us to do that. But don't stop there. A sign just isn't meant to be there. Remember, a sign's a post to say it's on to salvation that God wants them to receive and inherit eternal life. Are you with me? Say amen. Number five, faith needs to be evident, not just personal, but evident. If you're a Christian, you probably heard me say this before, there should be enough evidence against you to find you guilty. I'm just talking practical today. Are you okay with that? I'm sorry. If the hyper-spiritual service, that's somewhere out there. I'm not, but today I'm just talking practical. If you're a Christian, there should be enough evidence against you to indict you, convict you to say guilty is charged. That the person I'm in here is the person I am out there, right? Guilty. Not, not living a different life. Living the same life. He's saying this pastor, I came for you. I came for you. I came for you. I came for you. To die for you. And what he's asking us to do is if you're truly my follower, then be my follower. If you truly love me, then follow after me and do what I've called you to do. May it be evident in your life, not just in your speech, not just in your understanding of your heart, but that you live the kind of life that's pleasing to me where other people will be drawn to my Father in heaven and they will glorify him. That's the proof. The question is, are you a follower of Jesus today? That's simple. That's what this all comes down to. That's what it all comes down to. It's, are you a follower? So today, I want to ask you that question. Are you a follower of Jesus? I mean, really, in your heart of hearts, you're the only one that knows that besides God, but are you truly following after Jesus? Not just saying we're a Christian, not just saying we're a believer, but there's evidence in our life to say they are a follower of Christ. I see it. It's evident. Because why? Because they took their life they didn't put it in a Ziploc bag to try to preserve it. But they took their life and they put it in the ground and said, Lord, I die to me so that you can live through me and resurrect my life so that other people will come to you and glorify your Father in heaven. That's it. I mean, that is it. That's it. And if you're there, you're there. That's good. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going, right? Because how many of you know Paul says, I die daily? That's the hard one, right? I die daily. Daily, I'm going to die to all I want so that God, I get what you want. So today, would you just close your head, close your eyes, bow your heads with me, and would you just take a moment? Would you just ask the Lord, Lord, teach me what it means to be your follower? Would you just do that right now? Lord, teach me what it means to be your follower. For some, it may not be that clear, but would you just, as you've heard this word today, would you just take this moment and say, God, teach me what it means to follow you. Maybe in this moment, you've never, ever followed Jesus. Can I just, in this moment, will you just uh, ask the Lord, 
Would you, in this moment, ask the Lord uh, for forgiveness of your sins? Simple as Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me, Lord, today. I want to be a follower of you. Would you just do that in this moment if you've never done it before? Because you sense that he's tugging on your heart. Father, I pray that we would have a faith that's evident today. Lord, help us to have a faith in you that is so evident to the world around us. And that God, in this moment, Lord, help us to hear from heaven. Help us to hear from you. And that we would cultivate an open heart and an open mind to hear your word, to hear your voice. Speak to us, Lord, no matter where we are at. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. I pray that we would not have a closed mind, but we have an open mind and an open heart that you will speak to us, Lord. You are a speaking God. So reveal more of yourself to us, Lord, in these moments we have together. So that, Lord, we would accept you and not reject you. Father, I thank you for this word today. It's a bit heavy. But, Lord, you really want to know if we're truly followers of you. That we're really following after you and your steps, Lord. And doing what you've asked us to do. Father, I just thank you for your presence here. I thank you for your work in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.